Chats with Larry is a podcast of phone call conversations of me with my best buddy, Larry Keene. Larry is a retired minister and sociology professor, and he has the biggest heart of anyone I know. I'm Rabbi Brian, an ordained rabbi who heads religion outside the box, where I create great spiritual faith religious content for intelligent digital age seekers like you. People of all religious affiliations of none and everyone in between. I decided surreptitiously to record my chats with Larry with the hope that he would later give permission so that you might enjoy listening in. As you can deduce, Larry gave his blessing. Enjoy as we talk about philosophy, religion, sociology, and life. With love, I'm Rabbi Brian. On today's Rabbi Brian Chats with Larry, seven things. One, the Tuesday night stained glass class where our friendship formed. Two, Larry's school years. Three, a book called Transcend. Four, why ministers don't have a lot of friends. Five, how the current generation is more open-minded. Six, how no one converts over ideology. Seven, a Jewish author with one syllable whose name Larry can't remember, and I couldn't help him. It's Sachs, Lord Jonathan Sachs. He just recently died. May his memory be always for a blessing. I was so impressed last night that so many Native Americans were on the program and they're finally breaking through and getting elected and there must have been six or eight different native american tribal members mm-hmm. and i thought my goodness good deal <laughs> take the country back you know that, the, and you know on the republican platform coming up the young man who shouted at the the native americans he's going to be on the republican uh, convention, the one who shouted at them, go home. <laughs> oh, wow. And they said, they it's said, we, we are home. Like, <laughs> we, we can't. <laughs> it was our home before. This is actually, uh, this is our land. Yeah. Wow. Isn't it funny how, funny from our perspective, how they would feature some of these nasty minded people. Yeah. Have made terrible comments that they feature them as their heroes. God, I don't get that. I just, and that's what infuriates me. Well, stretch, stretch your, I mean, I stretch your. Republican. Okay, so you got a personal vendetta, but can't you stretch your sociological mind to see why people would pick nasty deplorables? Oh, yeah. yeah, I understand it at an intellectual level, but I don't. Explain it to me a little intellectually because I forgot to get a PhD in sociology. Well, you know, if I was from Chicago, I would probably be Catholic. Or if I was from Salt Lake City, I'd probably be Mormon. You know, it would just come in with mother's milk. So, you know, you can understand their point of view from their viewing point. Wherever, you know, wherever they're, from from where they view things, you know, their viewpoint, their viewpoint is shaped. And I get that, and I get that. but. If you read like I did and you did, it takes you away from your geography and it takes you into a different world. But if you're in a raised in a culture where uh, you don't have a bookshelf in your home, yeah, and you know you don't read, you're never able to escape that unless you're really unusually. Uh, gifted, I think. Would that be uh, Plato's Caves in a way that you? you... I think, it, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I, I remember growing up, my dad was, he had 155 IQ. 
he graduated from high school at 15. You know, he's hugely bright, so poor. He didn't, couldn't, didn't have the 10 cents to ride the bus across town to go to graduation. Yeah, but that's that kind of, but he, but we grew up and there, there were no, there were no bookshelves. Mm-hmm. There was uh, no Bible. And the only book there was that I remember growing up with is the World Almanac. And dad would read that voraciously. And every night before we go to bed, all four of us kids, we could stay up as long as we continued to answer questions, right? Of the World Almanac. Yeah, what's the capital of Montana, you know? And all of those things. And say the states in in the Union in alphabetical order, you know? And as long as we could keep doing that, you know, and gradually night by night we learn more, we could stay up. I got you. And so it, it always came down to Marlene and I were the last two. In the, this is kind of a, a reverse Shahrazad that you're trying. Was it? Exactly. That's, that's, now, you went yeah. to, Jenny and I, were, we took the kids down near Lyons, Oregon, to a, a river, and we spent three nights there, and we passed an old one. How was that? How was that? Oh, it was great to be away from everything and be forced to interact with each other. Um, like, we couldn't. You had a little cabin, didn't you? We had a, a, there were three beds in the cabin and a bathroom downstairs, and we had a great time. There was a, a river, and we just, you know, went out and played on the river uh, for oh, hours. My. And the river was clear and clean. Oh, it was it was beautiful. Yeah, just yeah. beautiful. So we passed a one one house one room schoolhouse. Oh, also we went to Silverton, where there's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. I did not know that. Oh, I didn't. And, and there was a one room schoolhouse we passed. And I said, uh, were you I, able to go inside? No, no, no. We just saw the outside. I, I said, I think Larry went to a one-room schoolhouse, but yeah, I, you yeah, did. I sure did. First three grades, yeah. It, it, it had six rows, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. And as I mentioned to you the other day, the kids in the second row helped the kids in the third row, and the kids in the fourth row helped the third row, and all the way across the room. And uh, Mrs. Fat would then take one of the other rows and teach them one row at a time. I just think, wow, she must have really had a lot of accumulated knowledge of various age groups, you know. Yeah. And then the kids helped one another. Now, are you romanticizing that some? There wasn't pulling of pigtails, putting them in ink wells. You know, it it was just so amazing. We, I mentioned to you, I mentioned to you that, uh, uh, years later, about 45 years later, I took Virginia and the kids to see Mrs. Fant. She was in her 80s at that time. And she, I, we went to her house and her husband said, well, she, she'll come out in a minute. And she had a robe on, you know, she hadn't dressed and slippers and slippers looked like they were 20 years old. And she comes out with her hair all folded up. And, and he said, now, don't tell her who you are. Just give her clues. And I said, Mrs. Fant, I was your student years ago, and I was in the first grade with your granddaughter, Linda. And she looked at me, and she says, you're Larry Keene. I just started to cry. It was just so touching. Mm. And uh, I said to her, well, what do you think I've become as an adult in terms of work? She said, well, there's no... 
no question at all in my mind, you're a teacher. <laughs> she just nailed it, you know. And she didn't get the preacher part, but there's there's not a lot of people who uh, who have dual careers. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard sometimes. But what are you? And which one to say first? But she she you know I was in the first grade. And do you ever have those Dick and Jane books? Uh, see Dick run. Yeah, see Dick runs. Run, yeah, run Jane, Jane run. run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had she had this great big three foot Dick and Jane book on a tripod. And then each of us had a small one. And I remember in the first day of school, she said, everybody turn to the first grade. Can anyone read this? And there are about six or seven students in the class. And they all sat there. And finally, I kind of timidly raised my hand. Larry, can you read this? And I said, I know I can. Because Dad had... It was reading the comics to me mm-hmm. each day, and then I would read them back to him and that kind of thing. So I read it and read it, and and uh, after just a few weeks, she says, you know, you don't belong in this class. So she moved me to the second row, so I skipped a grade. And then toward the end of the year, she says, you know, you don't belong to this class, this row either. I'm going to move you to the third grade. And before she could get the paperwork done, that I went home to my family. But I would have been six years old in the third grade, you know. Wow. It was already funny that, you know, I would was a year younger than everyone, you know, in the class. But that was my experience. And we went back to see Mrs. Fant, and we all just cried and had the best time talking. A week later, she died. You're not a suspect, are you? Mrs. Fant, remember? And it was such a, you know, fortunate thing that we took that trip, you know. And That's wonderful. Got to see her before she passed away. And she was in the, in her 80s at the time. So that's kind of my experience with a one-room schoolhouse. And Now, wait a uh, minute. So you it's, still there. it's still there, but it's a firehouse now. Wow. It's firemen. And Nancy and Robert went there. Uh, just a few years ago and went to the place, talked to the firemen, and they said, did you know that this used to be a schoolhouse? And they said, we had heard that it was. And then she said, and my dad went to that school. They were really touched by that. And of course, it was a real tender moment for the Arnolds that they got a chance to see where grandpa uh, and dad went, you know. And I'll bet if you looked into that, schoolhouse window that you saw i wouldn't be surprised there weren't five or six rows in that one school that's that's beautiful there you know i was telling somebody uh i'm switching topics majorly but i was telling somebody recently on how uh you hadn't had mail i don't remember where it came up but i said well you know larry didn't oh i remember i was I was talking to a, a, a minister out here who needed some ministering to. And that yeah. minister thought it was safe to call the rabbi because we don't swim in the same social mm-hmm. circles. Right. And I was right. talking to my, my best friend here, Greg. And I said, well, you know, Larry didn't have any friends till I came along. <laughs> and, and Greg said, what, whatever are you talking about? And I said, well, he, Larry was a minister. And he never got to just be himself. Yeah, yeah. Virginia makes the point quite often when we talk about that is one of the reasons you don't form close 
bonds within the church is that it creates jealousy. Mm. And, you know, have, having grown up as a minister's daughter, she saw that, you know, and her parents were the same way. They formed friendships with people in other churches, congregations, yeah. and other ministers. But they refrained from doing it because of the temptation to for people to be jealous, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and and it makes it lonely. You have years of ministry, but you don't have any close ties within your congregation. Oh, that's just and too that, bad. That's sad. Hey, I had an interesting phone call yesterday from Tom of Tom and Ben. Oh, I got a I got a text, an email from him the other day as well because he read the article where you were talking to me about hope. And he sent me an article, a little note, and in all caps, it said, I hope that you're doing well, and I hope that you're finding the, it was, it was, tell me, what did he say? Well, he said he loved the article on hope. He said he loved that, and he loves to keep in touch with you, and he just wanted to reach out, and and we must have talked an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, It was hot outside, but I got in the shade, and it was pretty comfortable, and we talked about the places where he's traveled and he loves the small town climate. And he lived in upstate New York. And I talked about my, our glorious experience in upstate New York. And it was just, I think it was the most pleasant conversation with uh, Tom ever. And I talked about taking my classes to Watts when I was teaching at Pepperdine to give white kids some exposure to black people. And he said some of the best experiences he had on his job when it took him to small stores, mm-hmm. and storefront churches in, in the Watts area and forming friendships with African-American people. Right. He says it was the most, we just felt so close and the whole racial divide didn't seem like a divide at all. Right. Well, he and took, I, he took me on, on some of my, uh, standing up for Black Lives Matter, and he told me that he couldn't possibly have any white privilege. Mm. I, I wrote him back, and I said, that is just, that's just hog, hogwash. That's impossible, Tom. He said, mm. well, I made it all on my own, and my race had nothing to do with it. Oh, he doesn't even know. Well. <laughs> he doesn't even know how much it did. Go, go back to Plato's Caves, and, you know, people don't see what they don't want to see. Yes. But here it was. He was interacting with black people. And week after week of doing that, gradually he doesn't see them as black people. He sees them as people. And all of a sudden, there was a kinship. Yeah. And and when he came out of that place in his heart, my heart just melted for Tom. It was like we had formed a closer bond. Yeah, that's sweet. Because he, you know, admitted that kind of warm affections and now, Tom, Tom only came on Tuesday nights, you know, to stained glass class. Yeah, that's right. And he only came to Tuesday nights. I'll look for the email while we're talking, but he only came on Tuesday nights to hear you and I yabber on. Did he really? Yeah, let me find the email. So he was married to what was her name? Betty. Betty, yeah. Betty was the official instructor of record of stained yeah. glass class out in Eagle Rock, California. And he came yeah. out just to talk with us. Let me find his email. I didn't know that. Here he said, I enjoyed the talk with Larry and I hope you were able to refresh yourself. We may degree, disagree on a few things, but I hope you know we care about you. Where is the part where he said about 
coming <laughs> on Tuesday. So I did I tell you I tried to explain to Emmett about why you didn't want to come to stained glass class in the first part, but I couldn't figure <laughs> out how to. I don't want to go to any sissy art class. Yeah. I, I tried to explain to him, but the word sissy didn't mean anything to him the way it meant. So you didn't want to come to stained glass class because why? I, I remember saying I don't want to be. I remember saying I don't want to be any part of any. You didn't say that class. to me. You must have I said that I to said Virginia. To Virginia, yeah. And then she says, "Go for one time." He has asked you over and over again. Go for one time, and they'll see how untalented you are. I must have asked you six, seven times, and you kept putting me off. You said, oh, Brian, this is, and you went into your I minister know. voice. Brian, this is just not a good month for me. Would you please ask me again in a month or so? And me being the idiot that I am thought, oh, he's just busy. So I asked you a month later, and you said, oh, Brian, I would love to, but I'm afraid I have a migraine coming on. And you just blew me off time after time. I know. And Virginia was so mad at me. She says, he is your friend and he is asking you and asking you to come. You owe that. That's when we started to become really friends. Here it is. He wrote, we miss him in our learning conversations and also class, of course. <laughs> well, and then he joined in and with Betty and helped instruct you know, oh, I, I do think, Larry, that people came on Tuesday nights for the community that we built up there. I, I said that to him. In effect, I said, uh, you know, Tuesday was a lot more than just stained glass work, listening to one another, telling stories, expressing viewpoints, even if they were different from one another. Everyone was courteous and and they and three out remember how we'd go sometimes three three and a half hours oh yeah we we met you bob and i'd pick you up around four o'clock we went for a super early dinner at casa bianca for pizza and then we'd go to stained glass we'd get there early everyone got there early and we'd we'd make stained glass and you know the thing that was unusual for me and that maybe so for you too is I found myself when people would want to schedule something on Tuesday night, uh, I, I said, I, I have a standing appointment for Tuesday nights. Like we can make it any night of the week, but that. Now and you, I found myself, we didn't miss too many times. We didn't. Know? Now you didn't tell him you were doing stained glass because you didn't want anyone to disparage <laughs> it. With the sissy. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny how words drop out of our vocabulary and Emma doesn't know what sissy Well, means. so we went zip lining off when we were up in the cabin. We went to a place and we'd go zip lining and I'm there yeah. and I'm I'm really just there, Larry, to be brave because my kids want to do it. I have no need to fly 60 yeah. feet above the ground. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. doing it. And there's this young gal behind me. Her name uh Sorel. I said, well, that's a kind of lettuce. And she said, I didn't know that. And she's in high school. And we get to talk because the guy in the front hooks Jane up to the line, hooks Annie up to the line, hooks Emmett up to the line, and then hooks me up to the line. And so because I'm the last guy, she and I get a bit, a bit of time to talk. And I said to her, I said, sir, you know, Jane, after three uh, zips. Jane said, "That's it. I'm out of here. I I don't want to do. I don't want to do seven more of these things." And uh, and she left. And I got to talking with her. And I said uh, to this Sorel, I said, "You know, there's something about your generation 
that I just appreciate so much is is that you guys don't shame. You just accept people for whom who they are. Like it's no big deal. You don't feel comfortable. And I there's not this peer pressure kind of uh, suck it up. We're all doing it. You have every that that the young folk are perfectly fine accepting people's limitations for who they are. Yeah. Did I tell you about the bar mitzvah boy who I'm doing a bar mitzvah for who showed up to meet with me? We meet outside, right, because of COVID. And we're sitting yeah. outside and he shows up to our second meeting wearing a beautiful dress, comfortable as can be. And oh, my goodness. And I come home and and I say, you know, I, I, I ask a question or two and he says, you know, I'm just more I have a larger vocabulary when it comes to wardrobe than most people. I can shop from both sides of the aisle. And I said, well, oh good on you. How, how would he be 12? So? 12, just turned 13. And and I, I bring this up to Emmett. And Emmett said, Dad, it's not a big deal. Like, we don't care. Oh, my goodness. And I say, and, you know, I'm as open-minded as I can be, but I still have knee-jerk reactions in my mind. You do. Yeah, sure you do. And I then said to Emmett, after I had this conversation with the, this young gal, I said, you guys are just so much more open-minded. And I tell this to Emmett. And Emmett says to me, Dad, I don't really think we should get credit for not being assholes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He said, Dad, just because you guys were all mean to each other, it doesn't mean that we're doing anything good by not being not mean. Yeah. And I said, yes, yeah, just fine. And then I said, you know, in my day, you got teased horribly if you went against social norms. And I That's said, right. in your grandfather's day, people got the snot beat what? out of them. Yeah. And Emmett just said, well, I don't think it's any. He didn't say it in these words, but he said, I don't think it's any sign of of anything we're doing well by not being mean. Uh-huh. I just thought that was so great. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even think about it in terms of good or bad. Right. You just think that that's what it is. It's just what it is. And you don't get any credit. Jane brought up, uh, we were all together. Jane brought up that Chris Rock used to do a routine saying that when people brag, you know, well, I've never been to prison. (laughs) Chris Rock said, well, you're not supposed to go to prison. You shouldn't be bragging about that. (laughs) <laughs> and Emmett was saying the same thing. We, we shouldn't be bragging about the fact that we're not bullying each other. That's just the way things yeah. should be. Bullying's not a rite of passage. Like, yeah. it's just, oh, it just tickled well, me. I'm tempted to say, well, you've done a good job of parenting. And that has to be part of it. But the part of it is he's learned that it's been reinforced by others. That's too. his peer group. His peer group does not mm-hmm. care. Does not care. Yeah. You come to school wearing a dress you come to school with your hair bl- like they just are a kid's overweight they don't tease that child they just take the child they accept them and i said this mm-hmm. gives me i said this to the to That's the guide cool. i said yeah. it gives me such hope give yes, me indeed. such hope that we're all going towards the right direction here well and i think you're right when you said that tuesday was so much more than glass yeah and even though he Tom is a rock-ribbed Republican, as we used to say. Never heard that and, phrase. Yeah, rock-ribbed Republican. And uh, uh, he and Betty are what they are. And it's kind of like 
like you said, that they can be chubby. You just take them as who they are, you know, and I have to learn to do that with them. And they probably won't be nudged one way or the other by anything I would say or you would say. Yeah. But they were a part of an experience and they thought about things perhaps for a moment in a different way. And even maybe more importantly, they thought about people like you and me in a different way. Maybe that's the biggest takeaway, that just because you're liberal doesn't mean you have horns. That because they saw the human side of... Right, right. I don't know. They, I don't know that. I don't know where... Betty was from North, Car- North Dakota. Yeah. I, I don't think she'd met a Jew in her life. I don't think so either. I said I would have students from Minneapolis, Minnesota in my class, and I would assign them to go to visit a black church Uh because they'd never even seen black people growing up. And I remember this one kid, blonde kid with blue eyes, and I assigned him because I assigned all the students in the class to some project. And his project was to go for at least one Sunday to a storefront church in Watts. Mm. He says, I said, you go on Saturday and check the place out. It'll have a phone number of a pastor that you can call. Call the pastor and say, I'm from Pepperdine. I'm a student. I just wonder if it'd be all right to come and worship with you at church Sunday. And, and he'll say, yes, young man, you come ahead. And I said, you'll find the place warm and loving. Well, he went. And they were warm and loving. And he was as blonde and as blue-eyed a white boy as you could ever see. And they invited him to lunch. And he went. Oh, wow. And he went back the next Sunday. Three years later, he was still attending that church every Sunday. You are kidding me. Isn't that the best story? I mean, I can't hardly tell it without getting all choked up. This blonde, blue-eyed kid that never had seen a black person in his life. Till he came to school, went to church, fell in love. They fell in love with him. They would do anything for him. He, that's where he attended church every Sunday. And he brought his friends with him. And they took their friends home to lunch with him. So it, he became an evangelist, in effect. You know? Yeah. It's just the most heart-rending story. Well, you always say that it's not, people don't convert on theology. I forgot yeah. how you say it. Yeah, that's not what changes them. Uh, it's affect, warmth. Right, uh, right, right. Love. That that you don't, nobody converts because of the theology you convert. You, I remember you telling me that about your, your master's thesis, right? About yeah, Sun Young yeah. Moon. Remind me yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that, that uh, it was that, that. That was their form of conversion is they called it love bombing. Right. You, you, you form uh, friendships first. First friendships and then ideology. Nobody converts over ideology. I don't think, do they? No, I don't think so. I don't think ever in my ministry. Unusual, that's right. Oh, you know, though, I have had people who have moved to Judaism because they really didn't like Christianity, but they didn't want to give it all up. So they thought there was something more pure in Judaism. Sure. It was earlier. (laughs) Formative. And I suppose they move from orthodox to conservative to reformed for ideological reasons. Well, that was also something you taught me is that people tend to convert. um, The people on uh, on left tend to move from a liberal Christian to a liberal 
Jewish and people on the right tend to move from a conservative Christian that that people don't move left to right as much as they move group to group. Yeah, I would often say uh, drug freaks would become Jesus freaks. There, there was a freaky. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, if they were drug freaks, they became, you know, if there's a center line and they're way over to the right, they will do one of two things. They will join some other conservative group way on the right. Or if they want to break away from the ultra conservatives, they go way over to the left and go as far to the, from the center line to the left as they would have been to the right. And that's a phenomenon, too, that uh, if a person was a real sinner, they will go way over to the pious extreme. You know, they, they haven't left their extreme behavior. So you're saying that people go from very loose and, and like it, it, they're they're a five time loose, whatever they're doing drugs or they're they're living a fast lifestyle and that they're going to take all that and pour that into being the most Christian Christian they can Christianly be. Right, they'll join Calvary Chapel. But I don't yeah. know, does it go the other way that people who grow up very I don't yeah. see that that people no, who grow up very, very Catholic, all then they start, you know, burning bras out in the in the boulevard. Yeah, uh, Catholics, you know, pretty conservative. So they, but you're saying, would a person that grows up a Reformed Jew, for instance, a, a liberal or a Unitarian Christian, uh, would that liberal? No, person- no, no, no. I'm asking if somebody grows up Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. If they leave that, become they might they might become a, a Catholic that has lots of rules, just like the Pentecostal. They stay on that side. Yeah. Once you become that, that uh, if you take a conservative liberal continuum, conservatives move to conservatism, even though the brand name is different. Right. Right. You're you're yeah. in the same company. You're just yeah. uh, wearing a different shirt. Just change the label. That's that's right. Yeah. So how did you get to go from being conservative, conservative to uh, the, the bookshelves? We got got it was back to what we up. started with the bookshelves reading. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm reading a book called Transcend by a psychologist named Kaufman. And he goes through the work of Abraham Maslow and he oh. upends Maslow. Like, you know, the the triangle that we all know of, the hierarchy of needs. Well, he shows that that was made up by a management consultant, that triangle in that way. And that Maslow (laughs) never intended it to be hierarchical in that way. And Mm. the book goes through uh, unteaching Maslow and reteaching Maslow. And it's just, oh, it. It, I've been yeah, reading it and I've been folding down pages going, oh, Larry Keene would love that. And Larry Keene would love that. That's just wonderful. Wow. You want it in book form or in digital form? I don't know that I can get it on Kindle, can I? I don't know. What What do you read things on? I'll just send you a book. I, I read Kindle mostly, but I can... I love books, too. I love to hold a book. Okay, I'll send it to you in book, book form. Oh, my. Thank you, Brent. Well, I haven't done it yet. That sounds exciting. That's shoot it off to. What is the name of that Jewish author that you and I love so much? It's a one-syllable word. Jesus. 
uh, he's a Jewish scholar, um, just the best. Borg? No, Cole. He's Jewish. Oh, Jewish guy. Uh, yeah. Um, what are we looking for? Give me a hint. Uh, he he talks about the Pentateuch a lot, and he shows how in the Old Testament. From? No, no. From. I'll find out, and I'll let you know. I'll find out. I just I want to keep saying Cole, K O H L, or it's a one syllable word. I just loved him, and I find myself rereading his book over and over again. He talks about the the various patriarchs, and I have no idea what you're talking about. So you yeah, you find that, that out. Yeah, send me that. Thank you. I love you, buddy. Love you too. Have a great day. Today. Will do. Bye. Bye. That was this week's episode of Chats with Larry. Please, before you listen to another episode or do something else, think about two friends who might enjoy listening to this and send them a text or email right now. Tell them to listen to Chats with Larry. Thanks to Steve Koch, my producer. There will be another episode next week. And thanks to all of you who donate and support to Religion Outside the Box. Religion Outside the Box can be found at ROTB.org. On the website, you can sign up for the 77% weekly, my spiritual religious faith message delivered to your inbox 40 out of 52 weeks a year. You can shop at the Etsy store for great religious spiritual faith creations. Learn more about the Saturday service and stop on by some Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streamed dog free religious service open to everyone. And a special thanks to Virginia Keene and as always to my BFF, Larry Keene. I love you, buddy. <laughs>